Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We hit the field light! All daylight! All night light! Here we go! Here we go! Ah! Keep it all! Keep it all! Keep it all! This is the Cleveland Sports Beat Podcast with James Rapine and Daryl Ryder on 923thefan.com. What up and welcome into another edition of the Cleveland Sports Beat Podcast. I'm James Rapine. He is Daryl Ryder. We are your beat writers for 923thefan, 923thefan.com. With you each and every week to talk about Cleveland sports, make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts, including the radio.com app. Daryl, we have a lot to get to. We're going to get to some calves in a bit. We're going to get to the most important things in a wedding because I'm getting married in five days. So we'll get to that coming up as well. And uh, but, but first, we got to start uh, talk about the Indians. And before we do that, got to mention quick note just to, to all of our listeners out there. We are not going to be able to do a podcast next week due to the wedding. Daryl's on vacation. He's gra- gracious enough to join us today despite being on vacation today as well. So, Daryl, thank you for doing that. We will be back right after the All-Star Game, July 10th, with plenty of All-Star takeaways and so much more. So don't go anywhere. This is a scheduled little break for us. And then uh, it's All-Star Game, then it's Browns, and then we're going to hit the ground running with all things Browns, Indians, and then Cavaliers when basketball season comes around. So there's a a lot to get to, Daryl. I appreciate the time, as always. And you're doing this, and I'm going to be honest with you, it's okay. We can be upfront with our listeners. You're doing this from the home office today, so I don't get to see your face. But uh, it's, uh, it's good to have you. How are you? It's your wedding week, so I thought I'd spare you the horror of seeing me this week. See, I was going to make a joke like that about my face, too, but you beat me to it. So there you go. All right? there, there you... <laughs> All You're right. the one getting married, not me. So. Yeah. Well, yeah Somebody likes your face. I, I, half the time, she likes my face. I think the other half the time, it's like, eh, I don't think so. All right. So let's, uh, let's dive into this, because the Indians, who you buried, I'll be quite honest, I didn't bury them. I said that they were alive. I said they had a chance. And I'm not willing to say I was right yet because there's still eight games as we record this, eight games behind the Twins in the AL Central. But they've won eight of ten. The bats are starting to come around. They feasted on bad opponents, including the Tigers. Six wins over the Tigers in the past week plus. Daryl, your thoughts on these Indians now that they are showing signs of life and are currently 42-35, and 35, seven games above 500 for the first time this season. Well, the Cleveland Indians are welcome because ever since I've read them their last rights, um, I think that they've won like seven of nine series or something like that and have managed to get themselves uh, not just above 500 in treading water, but they're a season high seven games over 500. You look at the the schedule going into the all-star break, it's extremely favorable to them. You open up a series with the Royals, you've got Baltimore, Uh, And then uh, I I believe they play the Royals again before uh, the All-Star break, before finishing up with the Reds. So uh, you've got the crapola of the American League uh, sitting in front of you here before the All-Star break. So this is a prime opportunity for them 
to really get fat. I, I think Terry Francona has done a, a, an amazing job. You're seeing the value of a quality baseball manager. They don't have a legitimate cleanup hitter. Three-fifths of the starting rotations on the injured list uh, are unavailable. Uh, the bullpen has had its ups and downs, and here we can say now that they've gotten this, this Twins lead in the division down to single digits, you can, I think, legitimately begin the conversation about whether or not they're going to be able to catch the Twins. And, well, if they keep playing 800 baseball, I'm going to go out on a limb and say they got a pretty good chance of doing just that. Yeah, I, I think – if you're a fan of the Indians, and obviously if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are. I don't know how you're not positive in, in thinking in a positive light with this team. Uh, uh, Corey Kluber uh, is still out. Mike Clevenger came back for a start, then hurts his ankle in that start. Wasn't great in that start. Misses a game and, and could start later this week uh, or this weekend, rather. But we're not sure if he's going to. So the fact that you've only gotten three starts from Clevenger, Carrasco's out, Kluber... Uh, obviously has been out for the majority of the season, and yet you, it, Trevor Bauer struggled, and yet these young kids have found a way, and I don't care who the hell they're pitching against. It's major league teams. They're teams that are trying to win. It, you know, those players out there that they're going up against that are in the plate or, or, or in the batter's box, they're trying to hit the ball, and these young guys like Zach Plesak, these young guys have stepped up and played well, and, and it's just I, I think it's a testament to the organization because they've found a way to – keep themselves in it, hover around 500, and now that the schedule's gotten weaker, they're feasting on these bad opponents, which is exactly what good teams do. And if they can make some headway here, Daryl, I mean, they, they don't face another winning team before the All-Star break. I think they're seven games above 500 right now. If they can get to 10 to 12 games above 500, we're talking about a team. I don't care about the Twins. We're talking about a team that will be surging. I know the schedule gets harder after the break. I understand all of that. But everything they went through in this first half, if they can be 10 to 12 games above 500, I think that is a win. And it's realistic at this point to think that. It's realistic at this point to expect it. And, uh, yeah, if that's the case, the Twins haven't been there before. And what I mean by that is this group of Twins hasn't had to fend off the defending champs. And that's what the Indians are in that division. They've dominated the division for three years. And if the Indians can put some pressure on them, and the Twins, everything's been roses and magical all season long. At some point, something's going to fall off a bit. And if you're the Indians, if you can apply pressure, and I think they have, they're starting to at least, uh, and can continue to do that, get within six or seven at the break, uh, I think you feel really good about where you are considering all of the circumstances, all of the injuries, everything that you've went through over the past four or five months. Yeah, without question. I mean, it speaks to the organizational depth, especially from a pitching standpoint. The Indians have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to pitching right now. And you're right, they deserve a tremendous amount of credit, all levels, for what they have been able to accomplish here. And again, hopefully they're able to, to keep this this momentum going. And, you know, to the people on social media that are crying, yeah, but it's the Tigers and they're playing lousy teams. Let me see them do it against winning teams. Well, remember, this stretch started back when they had the Twins, the Red Sox, the Yankees, and they took two or three in all three of those series. And that's how you put this together. You know, you don't need a 10, 15, 22-game winning streak to really announce your presence, if you will, or, or get yourself in contention. 
You just have to chip away at this thing. Win two of three. And if you keep winning two of three, eventually that's going to start to pile up for you in a very positive way. And that's what we've seen, James, over these last six to eight weeks with this ball club that had been hovering between two games under 500 and a game or two over 500. Now that they've been able to stack all these series victories on top of each other, you're starting to see it add up in the uh, in the win-loss column, and they find themselves a season-high seven games uh, on the plus 500 side. And I'm with you. I, you know, their goal should be to get into the All-Star break between 10 and 12 games over 500, and hopefully that's good enough to get you within. I'm going to shoot a little higher. They're eight games back now. If they could chip two more games, at least two more games off this Twins lead and go into the break just six back, then you set yourself up there for the second half of the season in the stretch run to really put that pressure that you were talking about on the Twins. Yeah, I agree with you. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm James Erpine. This is the Cleveland Sports Beat Podcast. We're going to talk about the Cavaliers and their draft coming up in just a few minutes here on the pod. But, Daryl, something happened yesterday. Bobby Bradley, he gets promoted. Tribe fans extremely excited. And I like Bradley. I, I think, obviously, you look at the numbers, 24 home runs in the International League, 55 RBI. That's first in the league in home runs, second in RBI. 91 right. strikeouts, though, concerning. Not great at first base, although I think he is serviceable and is working every day to get better at that. I think the expectations for Bobby Bradley a little bit high on the outside, outside of progressive field. I think people are thinking that this can be Edwin Encarnacion to a degree or Edwin Encarnacion light. I don't expect that. I will say, though, Oscar Mercado, I was trying to temper expectations on him, and since he's come up, he has been outstanding. Moves up to that second spot. He's settled in there, leads the team in batting average last time I looked. I didn't check it at the end of yesterday's game, but I'm pretty sure he's still ahead of Frankie there. This kid has exceeded expectations. We already talked about the young pitching. What do you think about Bobby Bradley? Because to me, I don't know how in the hell. In obviously, I I just I think he could be good, but I don't know how in the hell he's going to exceed expectations. After all these other young kids, it just seems really hard for me to bank on every single young guy panning out and being great as a rookie and contributing right away. I think he's going to hit home runs. I think he's going to have a lot of strikeouts and be limited defensively. What are your thoughts on Bradley? What are your expectations for him? Well, I mean, what? Yeah, 24 homers in AAA. He was, he was leading the International League uh, in homers. It's about time that he's up here. I've been waiting about a month for this to happen. Uh, certainly announced his presence with authority right out of the gate. Got the, the first big league hit in RBI out of the way uh, with his first at bat. Um, this The strikeout thing, it's, it's been something that's, that's followed him uh, throughout the minor leagues and, and obviously something that the organization was working with him to try and cut down. Um, I, I think it's uh, – uh, somewhat symptomatic of the present game of baseball. There's not nearly enough action for my liking uh, in the game. And I'm talking in a broad sense, not so much uh, narrowed to, to the Indians, James, but just in a broad sense, I think one of the problems baseball has is there's just, there's not, there's not as much action, not enough balls being put in play. It feels to me that the game today has evolved into uh, basically all or none. In other words, you're either hitting the ball out of the ballpark or you're striking out. 
Uh, situational hitting is something that you don't see a lot of these days. Um, I'm a, I, I laugh when I see these shifts and, you know, people are focused on, well, they should abolish the shift and get that out of the game. No, how about you teach the hitter to, 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 to pop it the opposite way? Because once you start hitting the opposite way, they stop shifting on you. Or you bunt it the other way. Um, you know, some of these shifts are so extreme, you, you know, you could bunt it right down the line and walk into second base with a double. So um, I, I, I think that the game is changing. I think the strikeouts are just something you're going to deal with, especially with uh, a young player. Uh, I remember early in his career, Jim Tomey, uh, he was an all-or-none type of hitter. He was either hitting the ball 500 feet or he wasn't hitting it at all. And as he went through his career, he learned to hit the ball the opposite way and uh, learned to put the ball in play and, and things like that. So he's a young ball player, not overly concerned about it. There's going to be some growing pains with him. You understand that. But I'm really glad that the organization got him up. And I think the most important thing the Indians can do for him now is make sure he's in that starting lineup on a regular basis. So he does get those at-bats. Yeah, and he's going to get those at-bats. He won't play first a ton. The plan is to <clears throat> excuse me, put him at DH a lot. And then on days he is DHing, pregame, they're going to work him at first. So it's not like they're not grooming him. though. They want him to play first. Uh, and they want him to improve at that spot. They also want him to get that at those at-bats. And I'm with you, and I think if if things do pan out, you mentioned earlier in this podcast, and it's been something that fans have obviously noticed, the revolving door in the cleanup spot. That's ideal. You know, if you could find a way, uh, you know, if he continues to hit, uh, shows that he belongs. The same way Mercado started in the bottom of the order, showed he belongs, moves up. If Bradley, if you hit on him this year, it's huge. Here's what I think, though, because we always look at this year, and it's real easy to do that. But when I look at this team, I think about the future. And Zach Plesak, uh, Aaron Savali obviously pitched well the, the other day. Jeffrey Rodriguez they traded for. Daniel Johnson, the outfielder that they got in the Nationals trade along with Rodriguez, playing well in double A, got promoted to triple A. We could see him up there, up here next year. Jake Bowers recently for the big league club has done what? Shown flashes. I think, obviously, Oscar Mercado we talk about. Uh, the the young pitchers, the young players, if Bradley hits here, the future, you can start to see it coming together. And it's really hard to win and retool. Yes. And the Indians, if it wasn't for the, uh, the, the Twins being as great as they've been this year, and again, one of the best records in baseball, they were aggressive, it's went right, they haven't had many injuries, their starting pitching has been better than people thought it would be. Everything's went right for the Minnesota Twins. If it wasn't for that, we would be talking about a team that's competing for a division championship, and I still think they are, but obviously the lead is, is eight games right now. But competing for a division championship, and the thing that they were banking on starting pitching with their aces, they've had the majority of that go down to injury or struggle and have still found a way. I think that that's, that's huge, not only for this year, but for the future, and we don't like to look ahead or you know look look it to the future. We worry about the now, and I get that. But when I start to think about this, the future Indians and in, in this team in 2020, and we talk about trade scenarios, Trevor Bauer, etc., I think they're going to be able to make a deal 
And I think there's a scenario where not only does it make them better, but all these young guys can carry the the torch that the Michael Brantleys, that you know, that all the guys that Edwin Encarnacion, obviously, heck, even long term Carlos Santana that they leave behind. I think we're starting to see flashes of it, and that is great to see. And not only if you're a Tribe fan, but if you're the Indians, because you needed to see that this year. You needed these young guys to show that they belong. And Oscar Mercado, building block. Jake Bowers, I know he's had his ups and downs, but I think he could potentially be one. Zach Plesak, certainly. So you, you, you've seen a lot of good things, and that's why we're talking about them still being in the division hunt, still certainly being alive and well in the wild card race. And uh, it, it's good to see not only for the 2019 Indians, uh, but for the 2020 and beyond. Well, what we're learning about this organization is it's deeper talent-wise than we gave them credit for. Um, because when you looked at it going into the season, depth was uh, certainly something you, you looked at and you were extremely concerned about. They did not appear to be very deep. Uh, there, there were questions about, you know, uh, not so much the starting rotation, but this lineup. And what we are finding out is, is they have a lot more talent. Uh, down on the farm than we gave them credit for. Their pitching staff, it was, I think, a lot deeper than we initially gave them credit for. And you hit the nail on the head, James. It's hard to retool on the fly. And that's what the Indians seem to have been able to navigate, including all these obstacles that have been thrown at them with the injuries and not knowing if you're ever going to get cookie Corey Kluber, you know, breaking his arm, Clevenger, the back injury. Now he comes back and he sprains his ankle. And These are things that you have zero control over, you can't predict, you can't plan for, and they've been able to weather the storm. Uh, they've been able to keep themselves in the playoff conversation. And again, if they, if they stay hot and they continue to play the way that they have played, uh, you know, when we get through the All-Star break, you know, we're going to be setting up for quite the pennant race uh, down the stretch. And we're, we're not used to pennant races. Typically, when the Indians are in the playoffs, they're running away with the thing. Uh, but, the, you know, the, get ready for a true pennant race this year if they're able to keep this thing going. And, again, I give Terry Francona and his coaching staff a tremendous amount of credit because I got to tell you, uh, you could see – uh, when I was filling in for you earlier this year when you were off for a couple of days and I was down at the ballpark, like I could see the anxiety on Terry Francona's face. I could kind of hear it a little bit in his voice of, you know, there's not much I can do. It is what it is. I'm dealing with whatever I have to deal with in the best way that I know how. And to his credit, and one of the great things about Terry and – it's such a cliche, but it's so true. He never gets too high when things are going great, and he never gets too low when things are not going well. He's the same guy each and every day, and that's really, really hard to do, especially when things are not going well. And the Indians have gone through stretches this year where things were not going well, and he's been able to maintain that consistency. And I think that the players also, that's how you get the most out of people. He's as genuine as they come. And when you're a genuine leader and you're not phony, that's how you're able to get the most out of the people that work for you. And Terry Francona is a master at that. Daryl, 
I'm gonna make you. I'm gonna put you on the seat right now because you're right. When you filled in for me, you buried them. I'd say right now, if I had to pick one side or the other, the fact that they're alive and well in the wild card race, the fact that I do think at some point the Twins, the baseball gods are going to give the Twins an injury or they're going to give the Twins a, a bad stretch, something like that, I think the Indians make the playoffs. I'm saying that right now when they're seven games above 500, starting to surge, eight of ten, uh, but I still think it's a semi-take here depending uh, based on, on where they're at in the standings. What say you? Do they make the playoffs? Do they not? If you had to pick right now, which way are you leaning? Well, obviously I'm leaning toward them at least getting the wild card. Uh-oh, just, look at I that. Hate, He's coming around. He's coming I, around. I, just, I hate the wild card, though. I Woo-hoo-hoo. absolutely hate the one-game playoff. Uh, I, my I preference agree with that. would be for them to win – to, I, my preference for them would be to just the, to to roar back and win the division outright and 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 get yourself into the ALDS uh, and uh, uh, so I think that they can get into that wild card game at the worst playing the way they're playing right now uh, I think they're what a half game behind Texas uh, for that second wild card spot and they'd be looking if my memory serves me correctly at a rematch with the Tampa, soon to be maybe partially Montreal, Expo Rays or whatever. So um, I- I'm going to say that they they keep this up and they at worst make the wild card game. I don't know if they come back and catch the Twins to win the Central for a fourth straight year. But again, the trajectory that they're on, and I don't want to be prisoner of the moment like I was a month ago when I read them their last rights. <laughs> uh, but the, the, the trajectory that they're on looking at the schedule, I, I, I don't see a skid coming anytime soon before the all-star break. The twins are scuffling a little bit. They, they're, I think three and five over their last eight games. Uh, maybe they come back to earth a little bit before the break and, uh, set up for, and also I think they play the twins like, 10 or 12 times, the Indians certainly have positioned themselves to control their own destiny, and that's really at this point all you can ask. No, no doubt about it. And, and I will say this, I'll add this, even though I feel more confident, um, if you, you had to say wild card or um, division, obviously it's easier to say wild card right now. I'm assuming they make the playoffs because I think they become buyers at the deadline. I don't think they stand pat. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to go out and get this big bat or anything like that, but Derek Dietrich. You know, I think Jason Kipnis at some point is going to struggle again. Could I see them going out and getting Derek Dietrich? I could. Could I see them going out and getting someone like that that is just a a nice addition, a nice piece for a you know a double A prospect that that no one's really heard of? Yeah, I could. So I certainly think the Indians could be buyers. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm James Erpine. Obviously, we're high on the tribe. What do we think about the Cavaliers and what they did in the draft? That. Plus some wedding talk. What's the most important thing for you at a wedding? I know what it is at my wedding. I know what the guests want. We'll talk about that and the Cavs draft next right here on the Cleveland Sports Beat Podcast.
Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Cleveland Sports Beat Podcast. I'm James Erpine. He is Daryl Ryder. We are your beat writers for 92.3 The Fan, 92.3TheFan.com. Great to be with you as always, Daryl, we talked about the Cavs draft last week. Since then, they picked Darius Garland fifth overall. Let's start with him. You said the draft didn't matter because they were picking fifth overall. I said they could get an impact player. I thought Garland was one of those guys. They got him. National pundits low on the Cavs draft. I haven't seen anyone give them an A. I think the highest I've seen is a B. Your thoughts on what the Cavs did, specifically Garland fifth overall? Yeah, I mean, um, not a lot of sample size there to work with. So there's a lot of projection here. Um, I I look at even in the four games and a quarter that he played, uh, I look at the quality of competition also not that great. But um, he's a shooter. He's a scorer. Um, This is going to be interesting to see now with him and Colin Sexton and this uh, two-guard front as uh, head coach John Beeline likes to refer to it as. Um, I'm a little old school, old fashioned. I I believe a point guard is a facilitator, not a shooting guard. And the Cavaliers now have two shooting guards (laughs) that they're going to put on the floor. They don't have a point guard. Uh, It it was funny, uh, you know, uh, Larry Nance Jr. was on Twitter draft night, uh, you know, joking about Garland lobbing balls to him and that. And the first thing I thought was, who wants to tell Larry that he doesn't pass? <laughs> because they McCollum, they don't pass. Uh, although it was funny on the scouting report that the Cavaliers distributed of the four points that they listed for him. The first was dynamic shooter with deep range. The second has a great feel for creating space for his shot. The third thing was changes speeds effectively. And the fourth thing that they listed was has a has good vision and is a willing passer they made a note to put on the scouting report that he's a willing passer because he's a shooting guard they're gonna go with two shooting guards nobody can play a lick of defense on this basketball team so it's 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 gonna be interesting to see what John Beeline is able to do but I'll say this about the Cavaliers there was no way for them really to impact the roster this offseason and I wrote about this after the draft. You know, they, they, they were stuck in a log jam with the, with the salary cap. They got to cut a $7 million luxury tax check if, uh, if the season started today. 
And so the only way for them to improve and impact the roster was through the draft. And they ended up with three young kids. Uh, they have a coaching staff that is focused on teaching and developing talent. So what they did was is they added three kids, starting with Darius Garland, to teach and develop. And again, I'm very curious to see how this plays out. I'm not going to sit here and rip the organization for the pick. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to uh, throw a hot take out there uh, because I, I just I, I don't have a sample size to really come up with something that is somewhat intellectually based. I try and, and do that. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just I'm going to sit back and see how this goes. Um, I, I, I think that Kobe Altman, all things considered, did a fairly nice job on draft night, though. Yeah, I, I disagree with you on a, a few points. One, I don't think Darius Garland is a shooting guard. I think Darius Garland can certainly be a point guard in today's NBA. I know you look at his, his assist numbers, and it's 2.6, but by all accounts, he has a great feel for the game. The reason I love this pick, and we'll get to the other two picks in a second, the reason I love this pick is because the Cavaliers didn't say, oh, we used the eighth pick on this guy last year in Colin Sexton, and we like him, but we right. don't love him, so we're going to pick someone else that isn't as good as the guy we would pick if we didn't pick Colin Sexton. Like, that's that's dumb. You know, you know who does that? The, the Browns up until a couple of years ago when John Dorsey joined them. Like you, <laughs> you, you, that, that's, how, that's how bad organizations are run. And I hate that the national right. media is like, how are they going to work? You know what? It's the eighth pick. You know who else was the eighth pick? Marquise Chris. Like if Colin Sexton doesn't work out, and I'm high on Colin Sexton, and I think he's going to be a good player in the NBA, I don't think he's a franchise savior. So until you have the franchise savior, guess what you need? You need to find the franchise savior. And I think that the difference is between the two guys is Darius Garland is an elite shooter. He's not a good shooter. He's not a guy that works his tail off to be a good shooter, and I think that's what Colin Sexton is. He's a guy that can dribble the ball down the court and pull up from 35 like Damian Lillard can, like Steph Curry can, like Trey Young can. There aren't many guys that can do that consistently. Now, does he need to be better passing? Sure, I will say, small sample size like you said, and the way the beeline offense, the way he wants to construct it, shooters all around, guards attacking. I think this idea that Sexton will never be able to average five assists or four or five assists a game, I think that's a little overblown. Same thing with Garland. If you have three-point shooters hanging out there and you're drawing defenders in by driving into the lane, you make a couple layups as a 6'2 guard, people are going to start to come in and try to hit you. That's when you kick it out to the corner. That's when you kick it out for three. I like it. I, I do. I, I think that Garland was the highest ceiling, and if you're the Cavaliers, we always talk about how they can't get free agents. Fine. Give me ceiling. Because in the NBA, if you find a star, it changes everything. LeBron comes back the second time. Why? Say what you want about, oh, yeah, he wanted to come home. He wouldn't come here. He wouldn't have came back here if Kyrie Irving wasn't here. If there wasn't a shot to win, he wasn't going to come here and lift up a 10-win Cavs team that didn't have any stars. So when you get a star... It makes it so much different, and I think the Cavaliers took a, a big swing to hope that Darius Garland is a future star. Colin Sexton's a really good player. I don't think he's a future star. Maybe he ends up being a sixth man down the line, but I, I am interested to see how the two-guard setup works. I, I will say this, Daryl. I do think the Cavaliers, last year at times, they were very talent-deprived. I think they not only did they add talent in this draft, but they're young and young can sometimes be fun to watch. It might make you pull your hair out at times. But the idea of Darius Garland, who I think will throw lobs to Larry Nance Jr., 
will throw lobs uh, to some of these guys. Kevin Love with these two guards, and then you mix what else they did in the draft. I see the vision, but ultimately I, I'll praise Kobe Altman. It might not work, but the fact that you took the big swing on the potential star versus the lower ceiling players, you know, Jarrett Culver, everyone wanted him. They would have taken um, the kid out of, of Virginia, who uh, DeAndre um, DeAndre Hunter, who went fourth. That's what I, I've been told multiple times. That's who they were going to take. If he was there, obviously they didn't get him. I love this pick. I think it's an upside pick. And again, you don't let the Sexton pick get in the way of drafting a future All-Star. I think when they, they watched Garland work out in Los Angeles, they fell in love with him because of his shooting. I think uh, the passing will come. The, those concerns will be there. Uh, but the thing I'm most worried about with Garland, it's not passing. It's not skill at all. It's it's injuries. Obviously, he injured his knee last year. He's 6'2". Uh, he looks like, and you saw him, but he looks like he's about as wide as me, which isn't that wide for an NBA player. So that part is concerning. But it, it, as far as everything else, I think the skill's there. I think it'll take time to develop. But I think the Cavaliers got a, a potential future all-star, which is what you want with the fifth overall pick. Yeah, well, I think Sexton can be an all-star too. Um, and so – I'm not willing to, to limit Colin. I, I think Colin has a tremendous amount of upside, especially with the way he uh, finished the second half of that season as a rookie. Um, you can see the method to the madness with the roster construction, and I think that that's what has me feeling good. You know, as far as the workout in Los Angeles, well, I understand Garland wasn't just, you know, shooting on air. Like there were there were there was pressure and 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 that uh, applied him while he was shooting and I guess he didn't miss a shot for like 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And that's pretty that's pretty incredible. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I'm not hating on the pick, not by any stretch of the imagination. Uh I do see a lot of similarities between Colin Sexton and him. But that I don't. I, but I'm not chalking that up as as a negative thing either, James. I'm just curious as to, to see where the assists are going to come from. I, you know, I, I was joking uh, draft night that the Cavalier offense is going to be put Kevin Love down on uh, down on the block, throw it into him, and the first guy to get open between Sexton and Garland, he's the one that gets the basketball to shoot. <laughs> um, so. Uh, same thing, you know, with Larry Nance Jr. And you, you mentioned roster construction and, and, the, and the, the drive and kick offense. Get into the lane, create something. If it's if you get shut off going to the rim, you can kick it out to an open shooter. And that's what, you know, Dylan Windler is supposed to be for them. He is going to be their wing sharp shooter. Um, so I, I can at least close my eyes and see what John Beeline and Kobe Altman are trying to put together as far as a vision because so many times with drafts, and you brought up the Browns, and I thought it was a, a pretty fair point. So many times you, you come out of drafts and you're like, what the hell are they doing? Like, wh what are they trying to accomplish here? And I don't feel that way with the Cavaliers, and, and I realize that it's going to be a long way back. People are going to have to be very patient with this team. Uh, it's going to be a long way back to the playoffs for them, but at least I can see and I can understand what John Beeline and Kobe Altman are trying to construct from a roster situation. And again, considering their salary cap limitations, their lack of flexibility, inability to do a whole hell of a lot in free agency, 
The draft was the only way Kobe Altman was going to be able to significantly impact this roster, and he was able to get three kids in here. And again, you can kind of see and understand where they're coming from, what they're trying to accomplish, and specifically where each of these players fit into what they're trying to accomplish and do. Yeah, and I think that ultimately the Dylan Windler pick, probably the safest pick, I think he's going to be one of those guys that can get you 12 to 15 points on some nights just because he's going to hit three or four threes, and he's going to get you some rebounds, and he's going to try defensively. As for Kevin Porter, I love it. I love it because, again, all you need is one of these guys to become stars, and I don't think Dylan Windler has the profile of becoming a, a star. I think he's going to be a pretty good basketball player in the NBA, but Kevin Porter Jr. has that type of ceiling. You talk to any type of talent evaluator out there, they think he's a top 10 talent potentially in this draft. Obviously, Darius Garland certainly considered that. Both have concerns. There's a reason one only went fifth versus 30th. Here's what I'll say, though. They took the big swings because they got the culture. You know, that that's the thing we talked about. The LeBron coming here, he was the culture. The organization revolved around him. When you bring Beeline in, you're saying, all right, we're going to get you a young roster that's talented. It could have question marks. And we're going to let you work with it and mold it into what it needs to be to be successful. And I, I think John Beeline getting his hands on Kevin Porter Jr., John Beeline getting his hands on Darius Garland, even Windler, I love it. That's why I was on board with the Cam Reddish pick because I thought Cam Reddish had a high ceiling. And the reason you bring in a guy like Beeline is because you want him to get the most out of those young players and, and get them to their full potential. So I, I love it. I get people. People are so worried about fit right now. The Cavaliers don't need to give a damn about fit to a certain degree. They need to figure out who can be great and who can't and try to find a great yep. player. And the rest, fit. Fit's what happens when you try to win games. The Cavaliers need to finish in the top 10 next year or that pick goes to New Orleans. It was an Atlanta pick. It would have went to Atlanta in the Kyle Korver trade, from that Kyle Korver trade, but it's top 10 protected. It got sent to New Orleans when Atlanta traded up to fourth overall. Cavaliers need to be bad again this year. And they need to be in the top 10. So this idea that, oh, let's let's worry about fit. and No, no, no. Don't worry about that. Worry about finding a great player. And, and, and when you can do that and when you take swings like that, I won't criticize it because that's what you do. The Browns were bad, and then they found a franchise quarterback, and it changes things. The NBA is the other sport like that. You're bad, then you find a superstar all of a sudden, everyone looks at your organization differently. Yep. And that's why the Cavs have to do what they did uh, and take swings and misses. I had people telling me, or, or swings and see if they hit, and if not and they miss, I'm not going to criticize them. I had people saying that four second-round picks was too much to buy the 30th pick, and I know they gave up $5 million as well for Kevin Porter Jr. They had a 1,000 second-round picks, and they're going to get more for all these players that, that are in the final year of their contracts that they trade away the Tristan Thompsons of the world uh, before the deadline, the Jordan Clarksons, might get more than a second-round pick. But to me, that's what I want. I don't give a damn about the second-round picks. I want big yep. swings because if it hits, it hits well, and it changes everything for your franchise. I, I loved what they did. It might not work out. I'm fine with it not working yeah. out. I I'm not fine with organizations that don't take the swings. At least the Cavaliers are doing that. Well, and you know what, it, 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 it's an inexact science to, to try and build an, an NBA roster or rebuild uh, an NBA roster. 
Um, you, you know, the Boston Celtics come to mind. I mean, they they did everything right as far as trying to build the franchise, starting with the, those blockbuster trades with the uh, Brooklyn Nets that involved, uh, you know, Paul Pierce, and they got that that, that, that just the horde of draft picks uh, from Brooklyn, and and they did everything right. They dra- they drafted well. They have no they have no NBA championship to to show for that rebuild. They, they have an Eastern Conference Finals loss uh, to the Cavaliers to show for it, and, that, and that's really uh, about it. And um, so John Beeline was brought here to develop talent, okay? That's one of his strengths as a coach. And so what did Kobe Altman do? He got some kids that Beeline now can work with and develop. You've got four players, Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, Dylan Windler, and Kevin Porter, that uh, you hope, regardless of roles, whether they become uh, bench players or they be, they uh, stay in the starting lineup when you are a contender, assuming you return to contention. But um, the the goal is is that those four players serve a purpose, uh, what and and have roles when this team does return to contention. This is part of the process. So again, I I, I agree with you. The the fun part is is. It, you know, while yes, when you have young players, you want to pull your hair out. But part of having uh, the young players and the fun that comes with it is you just you don't know what to expect, and they might do some things that are going to surprise us. So um, it's going to be a long way back for the Cavaliers, but they got some foundation pieces in place. They got some players that really fit with what John Beeline wants to do. That's the other part of this too, is you know Darius Garland, you know fits John Beeline. Dylan Windler fits John Beeline. I think Kevin Porter, doesn't matter who the coach is, he would fit. You have pieces that fit what the head coach wants to do, and that's to your point about organizational culture and your general manager and your head coach being on the same page. All right, Daryl, before we get out of here, I'm getting married in five days, and I'm excited for it. The, 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 part, the bad part about uh, the, the wedding process is there's all these things that you need to do, especially it's out-of-town wedding, so it's not like – we could plan everything. We're not at the site right now. We don't know what's going on. Uh, but, yeah, getting married in a couple days. I'm excited. I I think that th- the most important thing is the alcohol. So that was that was one of my jobs. I told my fiancé, I'll handle that. I'll make sure we have enough because we're getting married at her uncle's lake house. So we're, it'll be in a yard. So we're supplying all the alcohol. So I had to, like, figure out how much we needed, beer, wine, liquor, because you need a full open bar. To me, yes, that's the most important thing at a wedding, right? Like, what what yes. are, are the most important things at a wedding? To me, I always wonder, and I almost feel rude saying it, like, is it a full open bar? Is it not? Like, beer and <laughs> wine I can get by with. But but I've been to weddings where there's, like, a limit, like $1,500, and then you have, it starts to become a cash bar, and I hate that, and I don't want that to happen at my wedding, uh, and it won't because it's, again, in the yard, we brought in bartender stuff like that. So what we're doing is just supplying all the alcohol on our own. You save money that way. Uh, but you also you can get what you want, et cetera. Your thoughts on the idea or, or, or the the most important things when you attend a wedding? What comes to mind? Yeah, you you check the number one box. The two most important words: open bar. So good job out of you. That's what you got to do there. Uh, second most important thing: um, hopefully you're serving something that's not pasta or chicken. <laughs> Because, well, let, let's be honest about it. Weddings are extremely expensive. Uh, I wouldn't know. I'm not married. 
um, but they're they are extremely expensive for couples to to, to put on. And uh, chicken and pasta, I think, are the most like I guess economical dinners uh, to serve for weddings. So um, it seems every wedding that I've gone to in my life, it's been chicken or pasta for dinner. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, and it's never that- good. It's never like high. End, like very rarely <laughs> right. have I had like a wedding dinner. That's good. Can I tell you what we're doing? Yeah. Uh, so we're like it's a classy event. Obviously, it's a wedding, but we're not like high. high <laughs> no, trust high, me, I. High, but not we're not all like weddings high, are classy. But we're not like high end people where we need like the the highest, the best, the best. We're doing a food truck. We're doing a, a taco food awesome. truck. We're gonna do a. Uh, a salsa bar with chips and salsa. Oh, that's and, oh, this it, is this is my kind of wedding. See, chance. that's what I, that's what I figure. I was like, what can we get that people are gonna like? Everyone likes some kind of taco, right? For, you know, yeah. whether you like a fish taco, you like chicken taco, steak taco, whatever it is, you like tacos. So yeah, we're doing a taco truck. I'm pretty excited about that. Oh, that's fantastic! That open bar and a taco truck. Yeah, there will be you margaritas are, you- too. You are in the running for wedding of the year. Look at that. You really are. Look I, at that. No sarcasm at all. That is that is a great way to go. The only thing I'm going to ruin it for everyone, it's in Michigan. So all the Ohio State oh. fans now are going to be like, oh, my God. Michigan this time of year, beautiful. I, that's the well, whole, that's my only other concern right now is that it, I hope to God it doesn't rain. It, it's been raining your, so much in the Midwest. As long as you get your booze and your gas and your tacos in Toledo, you're good. That's, that's right. <laughs> Oh man, no, I'm excited though. So yeah, so I, I we're, we're pretty good, right? Like people are gonna be happy because you worry about the order of things or this or that, dude. If you give people alcohol and food, they'll be good. I think we're all. What right. are you doing for a dance floor? Are you guys doing that like in in the cabin, or are you getting a floor put down? We're get, or getting a floor a put down. Da- getting a floor put down um, in the backyard, and the lake will be right behind it. So it'll all be right oh, there. We'll we'll have dinner man. in the front yard. Um, so yeah, it should be good. I'm hoping for no rain and a good sunset. Some of these sunsets on this lake, it's Lake Allegan. Some of these sunsets are freaking amazing. Picturesque type sunsets. Uh, so I'm hoping for at least a decent one because that would make for, uh, for some quality pictures. All right. Do not use the four letter R word ever again, leading up to the wedding. Don't even talk about it. Don't think about it. Don't speak it. I I, I look. I looked. Uh, I looked today, and, and it yep, said yep, it was. Yeah, yeah. time out. I'm gonna stop. I'm, I'm saving you here. I'm trying to save the. I'm trying to save the wedding here. Don't talk about it. Yeah, I know. Just that's just, my just biggest like, concern, man. Just just like the length of games in a baseball press box, we do not talk about how fast the game is moving along. That's fair. Okay, we do not do not talk about the forecast. Do not don't just don't. Think it fine, but don't speak it, and you'll be okay. Any but advice? Like, I know uh, you're not uh, married. Any advice for me yeah. before we go? A- any advice for you? Um, well, uh, my biggest piece of advice would be that the two most important words that have to come out of your mouth, yes, dear, happy wife, happy life. If the wife isn't happy, you're going to be miserable. So um, congratulations to you. I hope that the, it sounds like the ceremony and the and the reception are going to be just absolutely beautiful. I can't wait to see the pictures. But happy wife, happy life. Congratulations it, to you. Look at you. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see if I – maybe she says no and, like, jumps in the lake and swims away. Or, or I don't. I, I guess it's no. She already said yes. But instead of I do, she says I don't and jumps in the lake or jumps on 
uh, you know, a jet ski or something and gets the hell out of well, town. So well, we got to get that part if, done first. If she shows up on Saturday, that's the wedding, right? Saturday's Saturday. Saturday. Yep. Yep. If she, if you see her Saturday and she's wearing a wedding dress, I think you're in pretty good shape. That, that's the thing too. To, <laughs> there'll be nerves because we're not doing a, a first reveal. It's okay. only the music starts. She's walking down the aisle, so I won't okay, see her well, until then. So if I don't see her, oh crap! <laughs> It'll I, well, be very I, lonely up this. there. I think that there's a superstition or something with weddings that the groom is not supposed to see the bride for like 24 hours before the wedding. If I if I'm remembering these things correctly, again, well, I'm not. Well, it's married. the night. It's the night of, so we'll, we'll see each other at the rehearsal the night before. Okay. But like we we're not gonna sleep in the same place that Friday night. We'll be in separate okay. places. She'll be with her bridesmaids. So. Okay, gotcha. So, uh, good luck to you. It, it sounds like I gotta tell you, it you've had this thing under control for as long as I've known you. You have been very even keeled about this. You you've had you've had the the wedding planning done meticulously. Uh, it, it it sounds like that you've covered all your bases. Just like I said, understand that uh, as as long as she's happy and smiling, you'll be happy and smiling too. So and don't go to bed angry, my. You, you know, here we go. I, I gotta <laughs> wish my I gotta wish my parents a happy fiftieth. Wedding anniversary. Ooh. They just they just had their fiftieth wedding anniversary, uh, and uh, I guess the key is don't go to bed angry. After all these years, uh, they're still together. Uh, after raising me, they're still together. So that in and of itself is an achievement. But yeah, so it can be done. But uh, there's a lot of compromise, a lot of give and take in relationships. It's not about who wins the argument? You shouldn't keep score and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. That's the other piece of advice I think I'll give you from the single guy who's not married. Don't sweat the small stuff in the relationship. Don't allow little tiny disagreements to become big blow-up arguments, and you'll be fine. See, look at that. Ladies, what, what are you talking? You hear that from Daryl's already. He knows it all. So you need to, at right or wrong fan, slide in his DMs. <laughs> And take him for tacos and margaritas. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm James Erpine. Daryl, thanks for the kind words. We are off next week, both of yes, us. Yes, we are. And then after that, I, I can't even remember. We're going to be going podcast for podcast for podcast. We'll have plenty of Browns. They're on the horizon. Plenty of Indians and Cavs as well. Make sure you check out our work on our website, 923thefan.com. Daryl, I will talk to you soon. We will be back at it July 10th. Until then, enjoy vacation. And for you, the next time we speak, you'll be a married man. Uh -oh. So good luck to you. Congratulations once again. Enjoy the day. It'll be something you'll remember for the rest of your life. And uh, I wish you and uh, the missus-to-be all the happiness in the world. And uh, like I said, don't sweat the small stuff. We're out of here. Have a good one, guys. Thank you so much for tuning into the Cleveland Sports Beat Podcast. Until next time, he's Dale Ryder. I'm James Rippey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – 
Price and coverage match limited by state law.